Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Maura Z, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, October 6th, and today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 154. We're going to be starting with the fourth paragraph that starts, but what about his responsibilities? Reading through three paragraphs, ending with, he would do anything he said but that. Today's readers are Tenzin, Anita L., Kelly S., Barbara E. The reference number for yesterday at, um, excuse me, 7 a.m. meeting is 10505. And yesterday's 10 a.m. meeting, 10507. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin to please read our 12 steps of OA. Good morning, everyone. Tenzin T calling from the New York area, gratefully recovering in this program. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove all our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tenzin. And I'll now ask Anita L. to please read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay, thanks, Maura. Uh, The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous shall remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, 
everyone's phone except the person speaking should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and we are on page 154 and we'll be starting with the fourth paragraph that starts with but what about his responsibilities? We'll be reading through three paragraphs ending on page 155 with he would do anything he said but that. And I will now ask Kelly S. to begin reading for us. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Mara. This is Kelly S. Recovered Compulsive Eater in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, what about his responsibilities? His family and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well. Ah, yes, those other alcoholics. There must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. His sanity returned, and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town, who, though formerly able and respected, was then nearly nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It was the usual situation, home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bills in arrear, and standing damaged. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business, only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood? He would do anything, he said, but that. Okay, let me start my timer. Um, Oh, my God, there is so much in this paragraph. I don't even know where to start. Um, Talking about Bill or talking about about Dr. Bob. Somebody's phone must be unmuted. I'm hearing an echo. Anyway, so my first thought about this, you know, was um, that Bill W., um, in the very beginning here, you know, talked about, you know, uh, he prayed to God, and then um, he, you know, he went to the church directory. So, you know, kind of that whole thing of faith without works is is dead. And, you know, one of the things in uh, my recovery this process was, you know, my higher power's been putting new senses in this book that's been around since 1938, and... You know, I always knew that it said we had to have a vital spiritual experience, and it was all about, you know, uh, getting a connection with a higher power. One of the things I've read in Bill's story recently, must be new, of course, is um, on page 15, but Bill talks about um, if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, and here's the part I didn't know about, through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. You know, I thought it just meant I need to do more prayer and meditation, which is important. But it's saying right here that it's that we enhance our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. So, again, it's about carrying this message and working with others, which is what Bill did that day. You know, and further on in his story, he talks about, you know, he would have depression and resentment, you know, he, you know, when he wanted to drink. And down here a little further, it says sometimes that drove him to drink. But he soon found that work with, when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. 
you know, and that when he would go work with another person, he says it's a design for living that works in rough going. So, you know, I think about this, you know, this is that turning point right here. We talked about it yesterday. You know, you know, if Bill had gone in that bar, our, whole, our, our history, none of us would be here probably today, you know. And so when it really comes down to, you know, they didn't have all the meetings we have. They didn't have all the tools we have. They only had each other to work with. And Bill went into, you know, Dr. Bob's office office his home and he related his experience experience strength and hope and you know real quick i just wanted to say you know the end of this paragraph you know he said he would do anything but that because of all this changes but ironically that's so not true because what happens is we start working this program and we find out this really is the easier softer way you know and you know real quick i'm going to wrap up and it talks about and we agnostics on page 50 you know that my favorite part in the bottom of the paragraph um, it talks about what happens to us, you know, when we turn our will and our life over to God and we start working this program and that we're faced with collapse and despair and total failure. And we think we're at the end of our rope and nothing, but we found a new power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowed into us. And it said this happens soon after we meet a few simple requirements. And, you know, we do get a whole new way of life. Oh, my God, sorry. Forgot to turn my volume off on that. Uh, anyway, so that was time, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's ironic because this is the easier, softer way, you know, it's way easier and softer than anything my disease took from me because, oh my God, it robbed me in every way of my life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, it did more to my family than, than this recovery. And when, when Dr. Bob, I did all this crap he talked about, I had all these excuses and, you know, I, it, it's amazing because been around 30 something years, recovered for two and a half years, two and a half years. I'm so grateful. And so anyway, grateful to be of service and glad to be on these paragraphs. It's a wonderful uh, program. Thank you, God. And thank you guys for being there. Thank you, Mara, for your service. With that, I pass. Thank you, Kelly S. Okay. Lots, lots of good stuff in here. And if you would please say your name only once, who would like to share on this today? Harlan G. Katie G. Larry. Katie G. Harlan G. Larry. Katie Charles. G. Katie. Larry. Charles. Woo, Barbara E. Barbara E. Okay, we'll go with that. I have Harlan G, Katie G, Larry K, Charles H, Barbara E. Harlan, will you get us started this morning, please? I'll do my best, Maura. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Maura, for your service this morning, and thank you to Team Friday for making this magnificent meeting possible. What a miracle that we're seeing. It's not just a miracle that we're seeing. It's many, many little miracles coming together. You know, we read, this, we read these paragraphs that Kelly read so well, and we see he would phone a clergyman. Now, who he's phoning is the Reverend Walter Tunks. But we get the impression that he phones Walter Tunks and everything is cool. He phoned clergyman after clergyman on May 11, 1935, in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel that told him, what are you calling me for? How would I know somebody that's an alcoholic? I don't know any alcoholics. Leave me alone. And there were people that said to him, look, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're talking about. Here's the address of my church. Services start tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. See you there. And he phones this Tunks, and Tunks puts him in, in touch with Henrietta Cyberling. And Henrietta Cyberling is mentioned 
on the next page when it said he, his call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town, Henrietta Cyberlink. Now, what's not in the text here is that in April of 1935, they had an Oxford group meeting. You see, Dr. Bob was already a member of the Oxford group even before Bill was. He had a longer tenure in the Oxford group than Bill, but he didn't have any of the information that Dr. Silkworth gave Bill and in the doctor's opinion, we have a lot of information that some of us can take for granted. Even being a physician, Bob knew nothing of the physical allergy and knew nothing of the mental twist. He knew nothing of the effect. And so he didn't have that information that Silkworth imparted upon Bill Wilson. And they had a, a meeting of the Oxford group. And everyone in the room knew that the purpose of the meeting was to get some miracle for Dr. Bob's drinking. So when on May 11th, 1935, this man from New York says, I'm a rum hound from New York to Henrietta Cyberling, her response was, come right over, because she was a woman of faith. And she expected that their prayers would be answered. And Dr. Bob, as it's described here, had a desperate desire to stop but saw no way out. He didn't know about the steps. He didn't know about the allergy. And he didn't know about the twist of the mind. For he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. They tried many times to do a laying of hands on him and do this and do that. Nothing worked. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be an alcoholic. And one of the most valuable pieces of information we can glean from this book is from the doctor's opinion. And that, that information set Bob on the path where we could be together this morning. With that, I'll pass. I've taken my time. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Harlan G. Katie G., it's your turn, followed by Larry K. Good morning, my friends. Good morning, Maura Z. Thank you, everyone, for your service. KDG, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic, and I'm starting my timer. Yeah, painfully aware of being somehow abnormal. I didn't fully realize what it meant to me be a compulsive overeater. And yeah, I'm going to do anything, absolutely, but I'm really scared that people are going to find out that I'm a food addict. I'm really scared that I'm going to lose my livelihood. And I just want to say, Dr. Bob, say the set-aside prayer, right? I'm joking, but, but seriously, right? Because what I didn't realize, these are all my old ideas, right? These are all my old ideas that I came in like, yep, okay, yep, I get it. I need God. But, you know, what's going to happen with my ideas about KDG from Boston? You need to be a manager because the only, because you're too stupid to go to grad school. So you need to be a manager of people and you're single and you need to be able to pay your bills, right? And so you have to be able to do this and you can't let people know you're a compulsive overeater and, 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 and. And what's so amazing <clears throat> about this program is that for me, what it means is that my livelihood, if I don't commit to this program each and every day, if I don't get up and, and maintain entire abstinence and grow in understanding and effectiveness with the steps, my livelihood, I have no livelihood. I'm going to eat all over you. I'm going to eat all over my livelihood, and I am going to end up, God willing, if I'm lucky, all alone in a dark corner if I'm not, you know, dead. And that's the thing, that's the crazy thing, but I have to be able to let go of what? 
everything. I had to be able to, willing to let go of my whole identity, to let go of, you know, there were times that I'd be like, fine, forget it, God, forget it, God. I'm going to be a single woman for the rest of my life, and God forbid me if you're a nun. But I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to be a nun. I'm just going to go, and I'm just going to whatever, God, whatever. But when I get to that point of, you know, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to whatever you want, God, the things that came to us when we place ourselves in God's hands are better than we can imagine. And that is what the steps do for me every day. You know, I get very myopic and very narrow-minded even as a recovered woman. Wow, you know what? I'm still a human being and I'm still an addict and I still fail and I still have fears. Like, I, yeah, I need a spiritual experience in this area, God, but, you know, I'm not really sure that I'm willing to let this go. But when I let it go, again, the things that came to me when I placed myself in God's hands are better than I can imagine. And, um, and God becomes more and more present. And I learn how to practice the presence of God in the most frightening, wonderful situations. And um, it's something you're not going to want to miss. And what I have learned is to move from constant worry to constant prayer. And what a privilege to continue to do this with all of you one day at a time. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. Larry K., your turn, followed by Charles H. Hi, Maura. Good morning. Um, Larry K., uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. So, you know, here I read, um, and I can relate to this. Um, <clears throat> so he approaches Dr. Bob, and Dr. Bob said he told him how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. You know, and, uh, you know, don't you know, don't you guys know how important I am? I was a very, very important man. I was, you know, or so in my mind, right? And I thought, I, I, I can't, I can't own up to this. I, I'm out there. I'm working, helping other people. I need to have my my stuff together, and I didn't. And Dr. Bob didn't either. You know, you have to get to a point <clears throat> where the pride, where you can swallow your pride. Didn't Dr. Bob have to get to that point? Look at how quickly this guy, we're going to learn how quickly this guy goes out. Now, he didn't have the 12 steps available to him. You know, he had the, the six tenets of the Oxford group. But he, he, what he did learn from Bill was the true nature of his disease, that he did have this abnormal physical reaction, this allergy, and he did have the, uh, he did have the, 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 the mental twist. And I had to learn about that. But, but when he did, look how quickly that he went out uh, to learn about, you know, as he learned about himself and he went out and repaired the damage, went all around Akron repairing the damage. He risked his business. This is, this is someone who was pretty darn desperate, right, willing to do that, to lose his livelihood. I had to be willing to do that as well. And I think false pride kills because there's, there's probably someone on the line. I don't know who you are, but you're, you're in that place of false pride just like I was. You're going to keep this under wraps, right? You're going to, this is going to be the secret you're going to take to your grave. Now, you'll work on yourself. You'll, you'll, you'll apply yourself well. Surrender? Never. Not, not an important person like you. Oh, no. See, we have to be willing to do that. And the last I'll say is maybe it comes down to a sort of a gritty, unshakable process of surrender in the face of uncertainty because Dr. Bob didn't know what was going to happen to him, and you don't either. In other words, do I have the guts, do I have the courage to do the hard work necessary without the predictability of the outcome? 
And there it is. Doesn't our old self have to die to allow the new self to emerge? With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Charles H., it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. Thank you very much, Z, for your service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. His call to the clergyman led him. You know, that, that call to me is the most important call in 12-step history, following the other call um, in Bill's story. Um, so, yeah, Dr. Bob, man, I could so identify with um, having a desperate desire to stop but saw no way out. And um, he w- he tried many avenues of escape, as we heard earlier, that he's been in the Oxford group before even Bill W., and, and that still didn't work. But he didn't have the description of, of his um, his situation, which was explained um, to uh, Bill W. by Dr. Silkworth. But it says um, another interesting part here is was he was nearing the nadar of alcoholic despair. Nadar means low point. See, until I, and I so identify with that because until I reached the, the low point of my recovery, it could have been it could have been a grave, and for a lot of people it is a grave. Unfortunately, um, painfully aware of being somehow abnormal. Now this touches me too because every a lot of places in the first three chapters, you know, doctor's opinion, there's solution. It says you know normal in every respect except for alcohol. What would my friend say? Nourishkeits. That's that. It's not. I'm not me. I'm not normal in any respect. And that's when I got hope. When I admitted I was a psychopath, always emotionally unstable, that's when I got help. And this vision for you, Chapter 11, Spiritual Bankruptcy, when I, I realized that um, it was the last chapter written in the big book. You could, you, could, you could study this text and you'll find it yourself, just like I had to. Because it's an overview of, hey, guess what? I was, I was dead in the ground and, and I have risen. I have risen through through this work every day, through this close study. And this phone call, I'll end with this. This phone call that he made, even though he had to go through a lot of different people, we're still making phone calls. We go to face-to-face meetings, we still got a phone list. We're still making phone calls. We still do 10 steps. That phone call is the reason I'm not six foot under today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Charles H. Barbara E., it is your turn. Thank you so much. This is Barbara E. in New Jersey. Uh, Yesterday, I took the cotton, put it in my mouth, and took it out of my ears first and listened. What a wonderful meeting. Thank you all. Today, of course, I put the cotton away on the table. I love these paragraphs, the words responsibility, desire, knew I was abnormal, but I had, my willpower would not help. I needed a spiritual experience, absolutely necessary. My dieting and binging and dieting and binging, the time between it was getting shorter and shorter. I had to turn my will and my life over to God, but I was skeptical. I couldn't see him. I couldn't touch him. 
and I wasn't feeling him, but I had to do it. I love that sanity returned to this man, to, to Bill, and he went to Bob, and he spoke to Bob, and Bob was in terrible distress, but made a decision. We are all at a crossroads. I know I was. Our OA program is simply the will of God, in my opinion. I was fearful. I had to be completely honest, and I was doubtful that I could do all the steps. But I think my higher power had his eye on me for a long time. He whispered, keep trying. He directed me to listen to others who were working for him. My higher power whispered to me, if you need me, I'll always be near. And that's what I needed to hear. The most important thing is that I am a recovered compulsive overeater, never cured, but willing and eager and grateful to be reaching my hand out to others. I love vision for you. I love OA. I know I have failed at this so many times before with so many different programs. I was totally desperate. Chairs literally collapsed under me when I sat. I had to give up going to theater because I was encroaching on too many people. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I was without hope. Now I have hope every single day. And I love that the big book is being read in 43 countries and translated into many languages. And our membership spans gender, age, religion, and race. What a wonderful program. Thank you so much. I pass gratefully. Thank you, Barbara E. And if you're just joining us, we are on page 154 in the chapter of Vision for You. We are reading from the fourth paragraph. We're reading three paragraphs ending on page 155 with he would do anything he said but that. And who else would like to share this morning? Please give me your name but once. Mary F. Beth B. Melissa Mary C. B, Melissa C, Knessa K, Craig F. I'm sorry, something K, Knessa, Knessa, Irini M, Beth K, e. Craig F, Irini. I've got Mary B, Melissa C, Knessa K, Craig F, Irini. Anyone else? Okay. I'm sorry, Beth B? Yes, correct. Thank you. Okay, let's go with that. I've got Mary B, Melissa C, Knessa K, Craig F, Irini, and Beth B. Mary B, please get us started. Thank you very much. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Mary B, gratefully recovered, compulsive eater in Central California. And I just want to quickly share two things. One, um, that phone call, Bill's phone call. I had the pleasure of being in Akron, Ohio a few years ago, and I was able to visit Dr. Bob's house, which was wonderful. 
But I also went to the Mayflower Hotel. And it's no longer a hotel. It's uh, low-income housing, but it's very well-maintained. And I walked through the part that I could, and I was able to stand on the stairway. And I looked down at the double doors that must have been the bar at one time. And I turned my head slightly to the left, and I could see a telephone booth, or telephone on the wall. And I just stood there, and I thought about the choice, not only that Bill made, but the choice that I have every single day. And I don't know why, but at that time, it was, it was a very deep realization and awareness that I do have a choice every single day. And this program directs me to the right choice every day, to turn to the food or to turn to my higher power. The other thing was that he didn't want anybody to know that he was an alcoholic. And I have to kind of chuckle about that. I remember once hearing the expression, um, in AA, if you can't smell them, you can't tell them. But in OA, we show the world exactly how we're feeling about ourselves at the time. I did everything, especially as a teenager. All I laugh when I look back and think about the things I did to try to hide my weight, the loose garments, the long skirts, the jackets. Oh my God! I lived in the in the in Los Angeles where it was quite warm in the summertime, and I walked around with friends who were wearing shorts and blouses and and things, and I was in a in a skirt and a jacket, always that jacket. And as an adult, the the, the tent dresses and the moo-moos, and, oh my gosh, trying to hide it. Um, I know my time is up and I will close. I don't have anything to hide anymore, nothing, inside, outside. What a wonderful feeling. Thank you. Thank you so so much for keeping me going one day at a time in this wonderful program, and I pass. Thank you, Mary B. Melissa C., it's your turn, followed by Knessa K. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Um, thank you, recovered in New York. And uh, yeah, you know, so like, I think one of the earmarks of our disease is the self deception. And, you know, and this part of the book really clearly illustrates it because, um, you know, in the chapters right before, Bill is also having a little bit of self-deception thinking he could get some companionship and release. You know, he had that thought. That was like the the self-lie. And then, um, and then here we are with Bob thinking, um, you know, on one hand, he understands that he's not quite normal, but, um, but please just like kind of let me pass as being normal. You know, like like thinking that nobody can tell that you're suffering from alcoholism. Nobody can tell that your life is in shambles. And, you know, I could, could relate to both forms of self-deception. One, thinking that I'm going to get 
release and companionship from my poison. And the other one thinking is that nobody knows my secret, you know, and um, like it was just said before me, you know, I was, I was over 300 pounds, um, but I ate salads in front of other people. Like, who was I kidding? And that's like, you know, I'm a pretty um, intelligent person, but my ability to lie to myself and somehow think that I'm getting away with um, lying to the rest of the world, putting on an image that um, nobody was falling for it. Like, who possibly would believe that I was only eating salads? But, but me, like, I was keeping that up, that illusion up. And then, you know, the other thing is that when I, it came time for me to make amends, um, I've shared before, like, one of the most painful, scary amends I had to make was to a coworker who I had stolen candy from. And I was terrified of my reputation. I was terrified of um, what other people were going to think of me. Like, that was everything. But I had information about my disease, and I knew that I, there was no hope for me. Like, I've heard Harlan share, like, you will not recover, you know, or like an impediment from a spiritual connection of God is a restitution you will not make. And I, that became clear to me, like, unless I made this amend to my coworker, to my colleague, I was not going to be able to keep the food down. And um, I was terrified, but I made that amend. And the freedom, when, when you finally stop, when I finally stop trying to deceive other people and worrying about the outcome, I experienced freedom like nothing ever before. And and then the food, I don't need the food to numb out my pain anymore. That that lie has been shattered. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. <clears throat> Thank you, Melissa C. Kenessa K, it is your turn, followed by Craig F. Thank you. Good morning, Kenessa K from Ohio, recovered compulsive overeater. Just 21 words sticking out for me this morning. He had a desperate desire to stop but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. You know, the first time I heard the words Overeaters Anonymous, I read them. Um, I was reading a book by Bob Green, Oprah's personal trainer, and it was one of my multiple attempts to try to lose weight. And I read a woman's story about how she ate and how she lived her life. And she said, and I remember this so clearly, she said, I follow the program of Overeaters Anonymous. It seems to be the only thing that works. And it was years after that um, that I walked into the rooms for the first time. I, I remembered both of those experiences so clearly. Um, but to say that I saw no way out and had earnestly tried many avenues of escape is just an understatement for me. Um, and, oh my God, did I try? <laughs> I tried everything. I am the most persistent, um, you know, I'm an account manager and my job is to earn revenue for my company and create a profit out of that. And I've done it for 25 years and I've done it really well but I could not find my way out of this. I, it was impossible for me. And I remember uh, when my brother 
became recovered. And uh, he asked me to go to an AA meeting with him. And I remember a lead getting up and it was really at the very beginning of my OA experience. And I remember a woman standing up giving her a lead. Um, and she said, I was born this way. And I spent my entire life thinking that because of my mom's disease, it had created who I was. And it was only from the steps of this program and getting to work that I realized that I was born this way and there was no way out. I tried everything. And um, I'm so grateful today. I have two amends left um, and um, one of which is gonna happen tomorrow. Um, but sitting in front of my mother, making that amends, that, that was a page turner for me. And if it wouldn't have been just getting to work and, you know, working the steps, listening to what I was told, it may have taken me a little longer than I would have liked. Um, but it's just a privilege to get on the line with you guys every day and to hear the message and uh, be walking the steps with you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Impeccable timing. Thank you, Knessa Kay. Craig F., it's your turn, followed by Irini. It's Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Thank you. Loud and clear. That's great. Um, I am impressed with how quickly Bob went from, Dr. Bob went from denial to honesty, that, that he uh, um, was one day saying, you know, why should I ruin myself by going around and telling everybody these things and and uh, trying to hide, trying to be, uh, you know, trying to maintain that illusion, uh, that facade to the next next day or a day later, going around making amends to those very people that that he, he went. I, my, my story is that it took me an awful long time to, to get there. I, I uh, was went to see a counselor because I was going through uh, marital difficulties that led to a divorce, and and we decided to do separate counseling. And I, I went to this counselor, and and he said uh, he listened to me for an hour, talked to me, asked me questions, and at the end of the hour, he said, uh, you know, I I lied to him about my my drinking in particular, but about a lot of things, and and you know, I was keeping up the facade, and. Uh, because I was afraid this would end up as a court record, among other things, uh, you know, with minor children. And uh, so at the end of the hour, he said, um, you know, he said, here's what I think you ought to do. This guy had 20 years in AA. He said, I think you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And he said, I think you need to go for about a year. And when you're ready to be honest with me, come back and see me. And, you know, another person that I kind of wanted to slap because he, he hit he hit me in right where I lived you know he hit me right where I knew I was at that I wasn't a but he was overly optimistic about that year because the, the fact is I got relief when I came in and and I I got enough relief that I was able to take the weight off I went from being 410 pounds to down to 260 and you know I'm 6'4 so I can carry 260 pretty well, and 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 I and because I got the relief, 
without being honest, I, I kind of set up a pattern for myself. And it, it took me 26 years and a couple of really severe bottoms to get to the point where I gave up my pride and gave up my desire to keep up that facade in, in order to get recovery and just to say, this is who I am. This is, you know, it's, uh, it's just what it's just the reality of the situation and and to give that up and and then recovery came and i i wish i'd have known that but i would have could have should have uh doesn't do me any good today all i can do is remember that i have to be gut level honest uh, about everything every day and with that i can stay in recovery and with that i'll pass thanks thank you craig f I think it's Irini M. It's your turn. Good morning. Yes, Irini M. Thank you, Maura, for your for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini M. from New York, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. I'm always given credit where credit is due. And I have to thank Mary B. for bringing up... Um, the topic choices, because that too resonated with me, and that's what I wanted to share. And I never realized that I had a choice. And, and, And just realizing, being aware that you do have a choice is such an awakening right there. It's, it's, um, it's taking responsible choices that's going to empower me. And, and that's going to nourish my soul. You know, it's, it's the choice of clarity, and it's the choice of wisdom, and um, the choice to have an open mind and an open heart, and to let go and surrender. And it's all about being obedient, to follow good orderly direction. So, gosh, just think about that. If we can change our choices, we can change our lives. So I don't know about you, but I have two voices in me. I always have two voices in me. And what do I choose to listen to? Do I choose to obey? Do I choose to say no to temptation or to fear? You know, when I make these choices and if I say yes, oh, my gosh, I'm detoured from fear, from insecurity insecurity and from a lot of my character defects. And then I I usually say the three A's, alert, aware, and awake. If we are alert, aware, and awake, we get to live in the present, in the truth. Therefore, if we're living in the moment, then our past cannot take over us and our future cannot take over us. Resentments are not there and fears are not there. So it's it's about... um, what this says to me is is about obedience, about pride. Do I do I dare to listen? Do I dare to be humble? What is my responsibility, and how am I meeting God halfway? And how am I showing up in the world? So um, I need to be obedient. I need to pocket my pride, 
and I need to live an honest, transparent life because this is what helps others. My transparency. They look at me and they say, you are not perfect. You, wow, you have an addiction. And then their walls of heart come down. And then they can identify and it gives hope to them. This program is a we program. I need God and I need you. Thank you and I pass. Thank you, Irene M. Beth B., it is your turn. Um, good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Thank you. My name is Beth B. I am a recovering compulsive overeater in Charlottesville, Virginia. And um, wow, okay, so uh, what's it look like for me uh, at the crossroads? Um, just recently, I... Um, a couple of days ago, actually, I picked up uh, some of my trigger foods, and um, in the past, that would have been the end of the world, but thank God for the program. Uh, you know, the choice that I had to make uh, was absolutely different um, the next day, and I, it, it woke me up. Um, that, that act of picking up woke me up. Uh, to the idea that I really suffer from this disease. And part of my disease is the lies I've been telling myself that, that I didn't know how sick I was. And I was telling myself that other people didn't know it either. And uh, the, the, uh, the awakening that I've had is, is that everyone around me that has had any kind of contact with me when I'm active in my disease and using food knows I'm sick. Everyone but me knows I'm sick. And um, when I woke up this morning, I had, I had gotten up in the middle of the night, and, and, and my, my disease likes to call to me in the middle of the night. Um, and, and I find it incredibly hard to, to even pick up the phone at that hour. So I sent out a few emails asking for people on the West Coast to, to be there for me. And by, lo and behold, I wake up at 4 a.m., and uh, it's 1 o'clock on the West Coast, and I'm like, I can't do a phone call. But by God, I made a choice to send an email last night, and that email saved my tail. Um, so, yes, you know, it is an action program. That's another thing um, that I wanted to, to touch on. For me, I think I've been sitting around waiting for the abstinence fairy to strike me abstinent. And that's, that's, that's another lie I tell myself. Um, so I just want to share with that. I'm so grateful for this program. I do it every day uh, with you guys. And thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Beth D. Okay, we have uh, three minutes left. So who would Lindsay like to share? Madam, Madam. Lindsay B. Lindsay B. Yep. Lindsay B. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, good morning, everybody. I just want to. Uh, I just love what I've heard this morning. But that place, that that threshold, that place where I make that decision. What's my action? And um, you know, just three weeks ago today. Um, I uh, went to the convention, and um, it was my first day of abstinence. And I have I've been to many conventions, and I've never been in in the food. And for me, a lot of the years that I think I was dieting with group support, for me to go to a convention was all about look at me, I'm a great, I'm in a thin body, and blah blah blah. And 
and now sort of having to get totally honest with vision for you, which I'm so grateful for. And just here I am amongst all these amazing 750 people. And I was not feeling the warmth, guys. I was not there. I didn't feel all that huggy, lovely, wonderful stuff, you know, um, because I was totally disconnected from God. And also I was in withdrawal. And I'm in my bed. I, I go to my room on the Saturday afternoon. And I came to this new place. And I'm I'm trying to nap because I'm so exhausted, you know, the drive and the withdrawal and all that. And you know, belly full still of sugar and a head full of program and all this stuff. And I, it suddenly, the thought suddenly came to me that there's vending machines down the hall. And I have never been at a convention where I've like thought about eating. And, you know, it was like, well, there's no way I would do it. So I don't need to tell anybody because, you know, I'm at the convention and this is vision for you. And, and at that point I got it. It's like, yeah. How on earth am I going to be able to binge the way I want to at a convention with this many people? I don't have a car, but I knew it was possible. I've done things, you know, all the years in and out of the program that I swore I would never do. And so what did I do? You know, I didn't go down to a telephone booth. I was lucky. I could go downstairs and there were like, you know, close to 800 people, any one of them I could talk to. And I just did the next thing and I did it and I did it and you know, by midnight that night, I just, you know, sat with somebody who really wanted to go to bed. And um, God love her. She was there for me. And, you know, we went through the, you know, the steps again. And I got hope. And I had somebody to, because I didn't have a sponsor at, at that time either. And I got through that convention. And I'm trying not to count days because that's dangerous for me. Because then it makes me think somehow I'm arriving but I can't help but just notice today it has been three weeks and I've just had the most amazing, amazing couple of a uh, week in particular where I feel like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm just so grateful and I'm here and I'm listening every day and I'm loving it and I'm excited. I'm even excited to do my homework. And with that, I pass. This is Lindsay B from New Hampshire. Very grateful. Thank you, Lindsay B. Okay, it is now 7.55. Look at that. I'm on time. There I go, taking all the credit. Okay, thank you everyone who shared this morning. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Today's share ID, 10510. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Barbara E., would you please read? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you. This is Barbara E. from New Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning, morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you can transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. 
Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. God, may God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you for allowing me 